Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses... The reality of that eight-show-a-week eight eight slog is really hard. When I start on a character, I have to draw them, and I'm, I'm not an artist. This is an effect built in myth and mystery. So you'd be sitting in this tiny little bio box with radiators all around you. Which was a funny thing because I don't think that play would have happened in that way if it wasn't at Griffin. You're a bit different to the other girls in this area. Yes, I thought, yes, I am. That was the days when they could smell an actor or a singer and think, oh, I've got six weeks. My sisters really taught me that, that I had to be versatile. This ostrich, pink ostrich feather sticking up out of my hair, out of this wig. My first career, as it were, was preparation for my second career. And her face was beaming. It was just beaming at me. I hadn't lost any of my passion or love for it, so it's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you very much. With six seasons and 450-plus episodes in the Stages archive, from time to time we revisit conversations previously featured. Stages spotlight such episodes in case you miss them the first time round, or so you can simply savour a second listen. The Stages podcast opens an essential doorway to access precious oral histories from the people who were and are on and around our stages. Conversations with creatives about craft and career. In this episode, we celebrate International Stage Managers Day, spotlighting a conversation with stage manager Luke Woodham, recorded in February 2019. On any successful theatre production, you'll find a key position is that of the stage manager. The role is a unique function because it serves as a key support to the director and production staff during the rehearsal period and then becomes the figure in charge of the production during the actual performance. The running of the show rests on their shoulders. At the helm of many of our big commercial musicals and plays has been Luke Woodham. Luke has overseen the life of many productions throughout Australia. and These have included The Book of Mormon, Strictly Ballroom, Matilda the Musical and the theatrical juggernaut War Horse. He presently is touring the country with Mary Poppins. Live performance can be a pressured environment and it pays to keep a cool head and a methodical approach, all of which Luke has in spades. It was an insightful conversation delving into the world of stage management, all called by the man on cans, Luke Woodham. Stages celebrates all the stage managers running our shows around the country today. You can celebrate a stage manager on this International Stage Managers Day by going to one of these shows. Mr Woodham, Mr Ayers, beginners please. So how is the show going? It's going very well. We are... Getting to the finish line, we finished on February 8th. That's just been announced, so there's a big marketing campaign going out now. Uh, and then we have a rehearsal period here in Sydney again, and then we go up to Brisbane for three or four months. Then Adelaide. And just What's well, terrific rec- on and on and on. recognition that if, some, if people want to see a show, they'll go and see it. Absolutely. And it's definitely the... the I mean, it's got such... It's a bit of a, a, bit of a lore about it now, that show, but it's got so, such an audience... And I think it's because it's you know, South Park related and and the titillation of the, the language and all that. But ultimately, it's just a good story. But I guess a lot of repeat business as well. Yeah, totally. Which is good. Heaps, I would say. A lot of stage managers venture into production, producing as their next 
career phase. Yeah, or, is direct, that, or, or, direct, or directing. Or is directing. That, is that something where you think you would like to go? Look, I've, I've been toying with going into health, so somewhere completely different, uh, either in paramedics or nursing. And I'm just doing a little human biology short course from Monash at the moment. So I'm thinking maybe something completely different for longevity. But yeah, you're right. People do go into producing. I, I don't know. I think a stage manager is good, well-placed to do that because they have such a broad view of the production and the industry. Um, and a lot of, st- I think John Frost might have actually been a stage manager. Louise Withers definitely was a stage manager yep. in their early days. So, yep. I mean, it does, it certainly does happen. It's not, I don't think something that I'm necessarily <laughs> to do. Well, I'm, t- I'm talking about people that I'm interviewing also this year, Martin McCallum and John Robertson, yeah. all started as stage managers. So. Yes. Oh, look, I've, I toy with getting out, but I think there's always that, there's a saying that you never really leave this industry. So, you know. Well, certainly some, but yeah, well, <laughs> some people do make it their life, you know, this industry. But for others, there's certainly um, an expiry date, uh, and a I burnout th- time or a time s- where they're fed up with the disappointment or the rejection or... Stage managers particularly, they, I, I'm, I think I'm sort of one of the more older and more experienced in the industry who's still going. Um, and how old are you? I'm 36, so... Right. Oh, and sort of seems all of a sudden that I've sort of been doing it. Not for, there are others who have been doing it probably about the same. But there's sort of that about 36, 40, maybe early to mid 40s is sort of where I think a lot of stage managers peg out of the industry. And I think that is that, that because we're normally tired and want to I go to bed tired, by eight o'clock as tired as cats. <laughs> as tired as cats. I would love to be in bed at eight o'clock. Um, I think that is why. I think also because you take on so so much. Of everybody else, I think in in this job particularly. Well, it seems a very time intensive occupation as well. So, yeah, it's it's. Do you, per- do you have much of a life when you're working on a show? Look, I like it, and I think a lot of people, as muggles or sort of non-industry people, think it's. I think it's very antisocial inherently the hours that we work, but I have a whole day mostly to do, to do you know whatever you want. So I think as long as you make the most of that day and. The, then you sort of work late into the evening. Um, that thing, I, I like that part of it because you can go to the bank, you can go to the post office, you can sort of run errands or go to the gym and do that all day and then go into the theatre and do work, do your work at night. I mean, you lose your weekends, but there's also pros to having the Monday or sometimes the Tuesday as your weekend as well. So is your body clock requiring to adjust all the time? Like, do you, Are you an early riser or do you sleep till I don't, late morning? I, I don't sleep till late morning. I sort of get up. Six, seven, usually. So you're functioning on, what, six, seven hours of sleep a night? Not a lot of sleep. Um, Sometimes I'll sleep in, but I I too try try to make a concerted effort to go straight to bed as soon as I get home. I think it's it's sometimes a very social industry uh, after the show and you sort of want to have that sort of drink after work and that wind down. Essential wind down, yeah. But... I try not to do that. Like probably like at the end of the week on a Sunday, we finish slightly earlier on a Sunday, so I sort of do that then. But I think if I just go home, go straight to bed, then I sort of got up and I've got the day. I think otherwise it can get, and that may lead to sort of be why people burn out is because you can get stuck in that sleeping till, you know, the crack of 12. <laughs> and you're sort of stumbling around and then go to work and that sort of becomes a bit 
I think we're not that's in very we're well, not very, seeing much daylight then are you? very little at all that storm last night I completely missed the light didn't, right. say, didn't even know it happened so it's a bit damp when I left the theatre last night well that's the thing later. once you enter a theatre you are in that world for the next eight hours or Absolutely. whatever yeah. you wouldn't know what was going on outside I mean, we're, I'm quite lucky at the moment. We do we do a Tuesday, we just do mostly evening shows. Uh, we don't do a Wednesday matinee. So during the week, we've got understudy rehearsals and cover rehearsals on Wednesday and Thursdays. But during the week, we've got a lot of sort of free time. We only do the evenings. So that we work six days. So it's a slightly, you can either work five days and do two Sunday, two, sorry, two Wednesday and four over the weekend. Or you can do six days and do a Tuesday and four over the weekend so some people think we've got the worst of the schedules but I actually don't mind it because you've got all the days of the week mostly free. Luke take me back to the beginning um, where did you grow up? I grew up in Hobart Tasmania um, right back to the very beginning uh, my my grandmother uh, was in the theatre and she was a performer I believe at Trelock it was called which was the Theatre Royal Light Opera Company this was 70s uh, at the Theatre Royal in Hobart. And she was a performer and then stage manager in that company. Did uh, you see her perform? Don't, I was born in 82, so no, I don't think oh, I... I, not, my, I might have seen some of it. Anyway, so that led, uh, I think, after my grandmother stopped being, doing the stage manager, she was a follow spot in sort of the Hobart amateur scene down there. So... And then she moved into the box office and worked in the box office at the Theatre Royal as well. So we got taken to everything, which was well, I thought was great. So we saw Meryl Tankard, Philip Gentil, and Bill Shakespeare, obviously. Anything that toured. Anything that toured down there. And, and in my mind, at sort of that age of like six, seven, eight, they were sort of grand, huge shows. And I think a lot of good things did used to go down there. Less, we get sort of less commercial things. I mean, there's still, Theatre Royal does have a good subscription season, but, I mean, maybe at that time, it's like, oh my God, amazing. And now I think back and think, Philip Jonty, my God, amazing, incredible, Meryl Tankard and her work. So we're going to see everything all the time. And then my mum was involved in um, Follow Spot and Box Office as well. Uh, and she worked for a ticketing company down in Hobart, which still exists, called Entertainment. Um, so we're always seeing things all the time. I did a little bit of amateur stuff. As a performer? As a performer. Right. Um, and then, so, and I went to Rosny College down there as well. Um, and we, there was a quite a specified performing arts um, program down there. Um, so we did a lot of performing, a lot of um, backstage stuff. Uh, and the teacher there basically said to me one day, uh, you're not good enough to be a performer, so become a stage manager. Brutal, but I do thank him for that because... I sort of have, I've never really looked back. Uh, so, what a, was it about that that backstage technical side that you particularly connected with? I like the problem solving nature of it. I like being able to, to to think on your feet quickly and to solve. Like if you're creating a new show, solve things on the fly. I really like that part of it. Um, I don't know. I just I've got, I just got the bug early on, really. So were you working follow spots like your mum and I did. I did or? a little bit of follow spot stuff uh, at the Playhouse Theatre, which is another little theatre in Hobart, but not too much. Um, but mainly performing in that kind of early days. Um, my mum died when I was 14, so we were sort of around that period. And 
I then went straight into uh, some amateur musicals with the Gilbert and Sullivan Society down there. Um, and that is where I was performing. And I think Me and My Girl in the Theatre Royal was my first, <laughs> very first show. And I was a footman and up the back. Um, and then I did some other shows with them. I went to Rosney. Through Rosney, they I sort of was uh, prepped and groomed, if you like, to... They did a lot of feeding to VCA and NIDA. Um, I, did my, I left Hobart when I was 17 and went to VCA for a year in the production course there. Um, and I didn't apply for NIDA that year. The first year I was out, I just went to VCA, got in, did that. Had a nice time there. Let's let's stay on the island for yeah. a bit. Yeah, yes, because yeah. we're, we're on the mainland already. Mainland. Um, so mum mum passed away at fourteen. Yeah. So so the theatre, the amateur theatre scene there, did that provide some sort of escape it, for you? Is that why you look back yeah, right now? Definitely. I mean, it was. I my mum and dad were already divorced, so we had to then move in with my dad and my stepmom, and so that wasn't. I mean, did you have any siblings? I had my brother, my older brother. Yeah, he's two years older than me. Um, so it was a little, I mean, it was horrific enough with my mum sort of dying so suddenly, but it, there mm, were a lot so, of yeah. other pressures, uh, sort of domestic pressures going on. But for, but, and now I look back on it and I think, God, everyone was just doing the best they could, which they were. But because uh, my stepmom was, oh, I kind of don't remember how old she was then, but she had inherited two teen, teenage boys. Um, and so everyone was doing the best they could. Um, so yes, theatre was definitely an escape for me. Well, it's a bit of a cliche too, but you know, people often refer to the theatre as as a family or whatever. So absolutely. So maybe you're finding that sort of connection. And, as and well, definitely, and I still, even. I still definitely believe in that to this day that the, the company is definitely a family. So I, yes, I mean, I guess that's what that is what I was looking for, and that's what I got. But I always remember as a kid. Uh, my dad would always buy the the mainland papers as they were, and I always used to like get them turned to the on Saturday and turn to the the sort of entertainment and musical section and just sort of look at the ads in the what was happening on the mainland. Not that I could often very much go, but um, so I was always sort of fascinated in that that sort of bigger scale show. I saw uh, an amateur production by the GNS Society of Les Mis uh, in ninety. Three, four, maybe, and I was just blown away by that. They it was huge. They had the barricade. They had the full barricade. The barricade twisted and turned, and it was all pushed by <laughs> by people. But that was fantastic. So that was sort of the show that made me go. I want to do. I this. want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who were the the people um, in your you know, that inspired the young Master Luke, who, who were, you know, because the, there's some great personalities that exist in, in amateur theatre, etc. but were there any particular teachers that you remember that guided you? Yeah, there's one path? teacher uh, who was at Rosney College. His name was Keith Bates. Uh, he was uh, very instrumental. He ran that program. Uh, Keith Bates, Chris Thomas and Maggie Gillum ran the performing arts program down there. So I still, I think they definitely nurtured a talent in a lot of us tom campbell who was one of your guests uh robin mcclevy who's over in la doing great things minka stevens who is at the uh, sydney theater company as a uh, senior stage manager down there there was a whole sort of team of us all around the same era that all came out so definitely yeah keith maggie and chris i think out of those three there are other um 
The first director I worked with is a guy named Craig Wellington, who still does work down there. Robert Jarman, of course, has his theatre company, uh, Blue Cow, which still does things. I've spoken to Kate Gall also. And it sounds like Tasmania has quite a vibrant artistic scene. It certainly does. Yeah, I don't sort of get to spend too much time down there these days, obviously. Um, I was down there uh, this year for Dark Mofo, and that's obviously a, a thing, <laughs> a whole law unto itself. But that's a what's that? That's a, a festival. It's a yeah, a sort of midwinter festival that Mona, uh, the museum down there, and David Walsh put on, and it just takes over the whole city and it sort of celebrates pagan rituals and it's all about fire and right. yeah. And aren't they about to get a uh, music theatre festival? Have you, have you read anything? Uh, no, I've not I read, read anything about the that. Other day. I think a, a big music theatre festival is about that to would be fantastic. occur in Tasmania. I know you're a big musical theatre fan. I am a show queen from <laughs> way back. Yeah. Uh, so did you um, collect cast recordings as a, as a kid? I did, and Keith, that teacher I was talking about, he used to sort of give us CDs to listen to and whatnot. I also remember making... <laughs> uh, we had a little rumpus room, and I, I, used, to, I used to be a dancer or do dancing uh, at a sort of very dodgy school not a celebrated school by any means so I got um, mirrors put into this rumpus room and I used to make with the CD player and tape player make little like mixtapes of mu- of all different sorts of cast recordings um, including uh, Superstar and Cats and I used to do full scale productions in the rumpus room for myself um, my mum used to obviously was involved in theatre and used to like theatre as well so uh, they used to go to the mainland and they saw Cats and Phantom and all those sorts but of big kid, shows. Okay, who can't access a lot of those shows, I think they're they're great oral storytelling. Absolutely. I mean, so your imagination can run wild. You can play the or or lip sync to the character. And, and well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, they're terrific. And still to this day, I any Newcastle recording general mostly I get in. I download on iTunes the um, just to Apple Music and your just, knowledge of repertoire. Yeah. Mm. Who are you, who are your favourite composers then? Who do you uh, listen to? The Stephen Sondheim was a big, yeah. big one for me. I, the, so you are, you're you're probably too young to remember LPs. Do you remember? No, I don't remember him. No, no LPs. The records. Oh, LPs. The, sorry, oh, is that, long who playing is records. Who is LP? Uh, no, I'm too um, too young. Because oh, when I was a kid too, you know, the, the most big excitement would be to run down, get the latest Sondheim, take yeah. it home, put it on the turntable, and then just lay there and listen to it from where to go. And I bet the sound Fantastic. quality was amazing comparatively. Now, yeah. I was the cast. I think, the double cassette yep. when I was starting out. I remember then, the Les Mis first came out in a double yeah, cassette. And, yeah. and then the double CD. Um, so, yes, uh, the big sort of mega musicals my grandma all had, and so I used to go to her house and take the, the tape or the, the CD and go home and listen to them. But uh, those I guess Grandma would have things like My Fair Lady too. Those yeah, old classics, all the old and classics, the Rogers, and and, Yeah, and South Pacific, I got to do South Pacific up here, which was great. I love that show as well. Um, so yeah, the Sometime the Into the Woods, Sweeney Todd, those kind of those kind of big shows, those big Sometime shows were really. And also, I think you know, um, around that time too, you probably had access to the recorded live performances of Into the Woods and Sweeney Todd. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, uh, I don't remember. They were, I was on a VHS, but I got those, the live performance, and I just re- watched it endlessly, both Into the Woods and Sweeney Todd, just because I was, I just was fascinated by the automation and, and how everything moved. So that part of it has always been something that's, that's absolutely fascinating. And still to this day, I sometimes pinch myself because I you know, now get to 
play and sometimes plot call the shots call the shots and plot <laughs> automation on certain shows that I've done so um, so those sorts of things I sort of pinch myself and kick myself just the hell with the way the mechanics theatre work I've always thought and have said to some people I sort of have always felt most comfortable in a theatre I feel like I understand the space and the language and that has been since I was sort of 14, 15 So what sort of a child were you? Were you a uh, uh a loner? Were you gregarious? Very, or... uh, yeah, gregarious, definitely. Right. Okay. Showbiz. I remember make, doing other little shows uh, in the garage. I think I made my brother be in them. I think I made my dad <laughs> rig a trapeze. And I think I had one of the chooks from the backyard on the trapeze and did a magic show. And I think brought people around, drummed up some neighbours. That sort of classic thing that you hear about, but it is actually <laughs> what happened. <laughs> um, so yes, and also de definitely a joker. Um, and then I got a bit fat. I think after, <laughs> after my parents divorced, um, I had a lot of McDonald's because McDonald's came to Tasmania. That was a... That was a, that was a novelty. Oh, gosh. Um, and then was uh, going to my dance class with a, a 1.25 litre bottle of Coke and was wondering... Oh, why am <laughs> well, I God, getting the, bigger? The, the picture of health. Mm. Um, but that's... So a, I yeah, think that, that, that kind of... That, that I think maybe some of that and in that, so those sort of formative years to have, you know, the loss of my mum and all that, to so then to go to the fine solace in the theatre was definitely... You know, it is sort of the... That's not the freaks, but you know, it's like that kind of you feel safe. It's a very safe environment, yeah. I think, generally for for all types. So you leave Tasmania. Is it the Victorian College of the Arts your first port of VCA call? VCA was right. first port of port of call. Uh, living in Melbourne, having a great time. I did the first year there, and I and that was a stage management course, uh, production course, so right. all aspects. Um, Lindy Davies was still running the acting course then, so we got to do some even some acting classes with her. Very like very sort of rudimentary stuff, but. It was great to see her work. Um, I found as I was going through that first year, it wasn't quite giving me what I thought I needed. So then I applied for NIDA and did a secret <laughs> secret audition. And you, in those days, um, you had to sort of create, you got given a show when you were auditioning for NIDA and you had to do a set model and design costumes and do extractions from the script so you sort of had to create all the paperwork for the show as your audition uh, so I had to do that all a little bit in secret because I didn't want to upset, upset anybody in case I didn't get in or yeah. you know all of those things so I did that um, and luckily I got into NIDA and was there from 2001 till 2003 were you a good student? Oh, I was a good student um, the thing about NIDA I think you just get to practice so much you just get to make well back in those days it's more um it's more academic now and they do four terms and I think one term is academia and then the other term is production whereas back in my day it was just constant classes and constant productions over three terms so and it was definitely a good time to be there we opened the new um parade theater when I was there so there was a lot when I first got there it was all being built and then it opened in my second year and I think it was the end of a bit of an old guard of NIDA um, Sue Lewis was the stage management lecturer who was terrific um, Kate Davy was the head of production John Clark and Elizabeth Butcher were still there but it was sort of the end of their time 
so I think it was a, it was a great time to be there. Um, but in terms of being a good student, I was often not so interested in the uh, history of theatre classes, although I did did go and I do appreciate it now. But back then, I just wanted. Well, how to, old were you? I was. Uh, 18, 19. Yeah. yeah, and you've moved to a big city. Big city. The distractions of a big city. <laughs> Having a lot of a time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, Sydney, and it's it's gay scene. It's, you know, just... It was for some, from someone from Hobart where it was, uh, as Hannah Gatsby has rather famously said, it was illegal to be gay until 97, 96, 97 in Tasmania. That's so. Right. Um, Whilst I don't think that had a profound effect on me at the time, I sort of think looking back that when you get to see you're like, yes, bright lights, pride, yeah. it's all happening. Um, so your yeah, first year very much in that night, I was very was so busy. I don't think I've ever been as busy as I was there. Um, Do- I, I, I just told you I, I was at the director's graduation pieces last night, yeah, and we were in a, a, a venue called The Space, which I'd never really. Yes. been in before and I thought there must be so many performance spaces out there and what happens to them when the shows aren't on but I guess uh, stage management or the production courses are in there rigging lights and playing with yeah they, they all sort of have a basic rig mm. and uh, I, I went out to NIDA probably, probably about six maybe six months ago maybe slightly less and taught uh, some advanced calling uh, for musical theatre out there and we used I think maybe it was the space they've all got different names now they've changed all the names yeah. since I was there um, and we they set up uh, a little bit of a lighting rig and we just, I took some old material out there and we just did calling exercises with the uh, second years, I think they were. So what's the syllabus like? What sort of things do you do in a production course? That What, what, what do you learn? What uh, we we learned all sorts of things back then. Um, we did production management, stage management, lighting, sound, company management. We did events management. It was very, very broad. Um, and so in the first year, you are either a lighting assistant, a sound assistant, an assistant stage manager, an ASM, um, on the productions, and you sort of do those sort of lower level, lower tier things on the productions, and then you're doing the courses, as, the classes, sorry, as you, in the morning as you go along, um, which would be history of theatre, script analysis with the great Terry Clark, who's still there. Um, we would do stage management classes and the, all of those as well, lighting classes, so you're using the, the skills that you and the, the knowledge that you learn in the morning and then putting that into practice in the afternoon and the evening, essentially. So first year, you're assistant level. Then in your second year, you become deputy level or sort of middle, middle, middle tier management, as it were. And then in the last, in the, your last year, you're doing a secondment in the industry, a sort of with the in a commercial musical or with events and then and that's just to go and observe and uh, obs- your work experience really basically it? work experience yeah. yeah um you're an intern to come and it's sort do, of do you need those. to find those engagements or do they find them for you, you? Sh- uh find a bit of both you, they can sort of recommend so sydney festival for example i did one on sydney festival and i did one on the lion king and the sydney festival one i worked in the domain uh as a domain assistant, uh, well, sorry, as a comment, but then I became the domain assistant. So that was for uh, less so now, but back in the um, the days of Brett Sheehy at the Sydney Festival, they did a lot of uh, outdoor stuff in the domain, and it started in October and went through to about February, and it was home bake, which doesn't exist anymore. Carol's in the domain. Then there was a New Year's Eve party, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, sorry, our field day was in the domain. Then jazz in the domain, symphony in the domain, and opera in the domain. So it was a whole sort of 
summer series of concerts. So that was one of my comments there as well. Uh, and then, sorry, in third year, and then you are production manager at NIDA, circle back, um, and you do a lighting design or a sound design. That's generally how the course ran back then. But it's very, very different now, is my understanding. Did you have to take um, a, a part-time job to support yourself through NIDA? Were you working in a bottle shop? No, no, I didn't. I was lucky, lucky enough, and it sort of... Uh, the, I was able to use the the money from my uh, my mum's estate, which were in uh, her will was stipulated. Uh, we would get it when we were twenty one, I believe, the money, or we could use it in the meantime for educational purposes. So that put that and some assistance from my from my dad and stepmom put me through. Nida paid for some of my rent and sort of kept me kept me afloat. But I've never been so poor. <laughs> I do look back on it very fondly, but I was, you know, eating two-minute noodles from the service station and big vats of pasta. But I, but I survived, and you know, again. Well, I think you've got to be pretty resilient to go to a, a drama school, don't you? Yeah, I mean, unless the demands are quite big. Yes, I always hear in the acting course that they they sort of beat you down and then build you back up. Less so in the production course; they don't really do that. But. Uh, yeah, you do. You need to... I always think that you... I, I, I think I went in... I think if you're going to come out of there and be successful, I think you. I went in with... Because I had all that practice from from Rosney and from Tasmania, but what NIDA gave me was the skills and the knowledge and the ability to practice, but I still think the, the person that I am when I went in has has sort of stood me in slightly better course in the, in the industry now. I think it, it, to be a stage manager, I think it's a very sort of specific personality. So, are you a bossy person? No, no, so I try not to be. Um, <laughs> you have to be organised. You have to be. You do have to be organised. I'm quite sort of uh, fastidious, anal, anal retentive. Um, you are. Uh, you have to be demanding or, too. De- demanding I mean, and organised. The show rests on your shoulders, doesn't it? You, you. After the director leaves, is it you're the one that's? I mean, yes. In some of the, the so the smaller stuff that I've done, absolutely yes, you are very much involved in everything from once the director leaves. But on a commercial commercial musical, which I'm working in now, it, they're very well resourced. So, um, and the producers are obviously still always very much involved. And there's a whole directing team, a resident directing team, a resident choreographer choreographic team there's heads of all departments heads of all departments so you are so and there's company management which so the company manager and the stage manager sort of in tandem run the show on behalf of the producer but on the smaller shows that i've done yes you're absolutely sort of so with the big commercial musicals too or the the big commercial shows that you've worked on um is it like any workplace and there's usually sort of an an, a weekly meeting where all the heads and and staff get together to discuss how the show's going very show to show some shows we would do a weekly scheduling with the creatives um we do a weekly scheduling meeting uh to talk about the schedule for the week ahead but then that would sort of also we'd bring up we'd have the physiotherapist there so the physiotherapist could talk about any sort of injuries or or niggles with any of the cast then we just the everyone would talk about any concerns they would have with the cast and then on perhaps the other week you would have an a heads of department meeting or an hod meeting where all the creative departments come together and talk about what's coming up if there's any external uh gigs happening on the stage for example or if there's uh, cover runs coming up or put-ins coming up for new cast members. There's always always something going on in a commercial musical. It's never s- just the show. Um, 
We've worked on some big, big uh, commercial uh, projects. Book of Mormon at the moment, but, but War Horse, yes. Strictly Ballroom. And What's the process for you from the time you're offered the job to opening night? So. What's the job description? The t- it starts... It's a fu- So for me, I was very lucky because I uh, became... I sort of created a work relationship with a production stage manager called Annika Harrison and a technical director called Cass Jones, uh, who are from the old Cam Mac days. And they, they, we worked together uh, back on Billy Elliot a long, long time ago. It's 2007, I think it was. Um, so we sort of formed a relationship and then they sort of book you for each sort of gig and subsequently again. So... If, if Cass was doing it, he would use Annika, and then if Annika was doing it, she would use me. I tell Annika and that she's solely responsible for my career. She doesn't accept that, but <laughs> I always think it's true. Um, so you get the you book the gig that way, uh, usually through the technical director. There's sort of four or five technical directors working in Australia at the moment. Uh, that can happen nine, six months in advance. That depends. So then, so so do stage managers have agents. No, or, no. So you're no. finding your work like so this. You saw, do you have to handle your contractual arrangements? Then? You do. Yeah. So you're. Oh, right, I you're, mean, there's not. So they. So again, you you do use the comment when you come out of the industry. Hopefully, you're. Build some you, you build some relationships. It's yeah. all about your network. It's a very small industry, and it's about who you know. You are then hopefully in the right place at the right time, and you get offered an ASM job, which is what happened with, to me on. It was actually Hugh Jackman's Boy From Oz in the arena first that I did, and then that led to Billy Elliot. So it's, if you do one, then you sort of go on to another. And every, you know, as I tell my students as well, every gig is an audition for another gig. Absolutely. There are people watching. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so you do, you do that, yes. Yeah, so no agents at all. You do handle your own negotiations. There's not, there's not a lot of negotiating to be done, and I think that may be because... I don't have an agent, but you usually get the contract, and you you might be able to, you might be able to get some a little bit of extra money out of some people, but generally it's sort of well that, they're working to that's, a budget. Too, that's I what guess, it is, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, some you know they have to be able to pay the stars a lot of money, and so and also I think there's a more egalitarian nature in the crew, so that all the heads of department sit at one on one pay level. And then so all the deputies sit at one pay level and the assistants sit at one pay level. And I think that's good because I think then no one is being, you know, you don't get that, you know, old mates being paid Rivalries t- 10 grand a week jealousy. and I'm on, you know, two grand, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> that, does, that doesn't can happen. Uh, so, yeah, sign the contract, then you would go through a process of selecting a team. Uh, so in con- in consultation with the technical director and the production stage manager, if there is one, not all shows have one, um, then you would select a team. So that would be interviewing uh, the assistant stage managers and the deputy stage managers. Often you will form a little little team and you will just sort of go from show to show. So I've got some people who I've worked with on several shows together and then other times you just get pick up people and these are the people that you've got and that can either be great or it can sort of not work, yeah, not yeah. work as well usually it's a finite period of time so if it doesn't go well that's why so if there's a big show coming to australia that you're going to work on like like mormon or warhorse or whatever do you get the opportunity to go overseas and see the productions uh so d- um d- not i did on mormon i was very lucky to be able to be uh 
I took over on Mormon actually. So when I was offered the job, I went to New York for, it was a week. I think it was eight days, the whole trip all up. I was in New York for three or four nights. Then I went out to Cleveland and saw the tour. So I saw the Broadway production and the tour production. And I guess you were able to go backstage and talk to the stage manager Strictly there, backstage, yeah. yeah well, right. I mean, watched it from the front once, but then right. you were backstage and observing how it, how it all went. And just meeting people and, and seeing how the show moves. Obviously, the national tour on America, they move. They either do sort of one week sit-downs, two week sit-downs, or sometimes they sit down for a month. But they're moving generally every week. I couldn't stand that if, that if I was doing that. Luckily, we in Australia, we sort of sit down for two months to three months. Uh, but other than that, the production stage manager, Annika in that case, would go and she would look at the show from a backstage point of view. So then you get, you get that show, you put together the team, you often get some paperwork or, and, all, and plans and all that from... from another production so it sort of it almost is like a bit of a it comes in a box and I guess really. you've got to adhere to all those instructions you do and, and of, but different so America works in a different system than in terms of uh, show notation and the way a show runs compared to what we do and uh, the West End works slightly different similar to us but but slightly different again. So then you sort of ex- you've usually got an archival recording of the show and the paperwork and you sit down and you extract out your own versions of that uh so and then you create your own paperwork and then sort of off you go you usually have a, a week or two of pre-production where you're getting ready all the scripts you're contacting all the cast and getting re- and bumping in the rehearsal room doing your mark excuse me your mark up in the rehearsal room on the floor any rehearsal set that you'll have some shows that i've done have an entire rehearsal set almost so much that you could do the whole show in the rehearsal room. Um, and you will sometimes have automation in the rehearsal room too. If there's, we had a, on Strictly Ballroom, we had a double revolve, a donut revolve. So we had that in the rehearsal room. So setting all that up. And then if you go into rehearsals. It's a huge job. It is a, it Does is anybody else do anything? <laughs> it is a huge job, but you've sort of got... You've got a team work. You've, you're you're so yeah. well resourced. It's, yeah. it's the, but some other shows, like I've done, I did some... Um, when I first got out, I did some regional touring. Uh, I did Jackie Weaver's one-woman one show. We, we've done, I think totally, she's done 72 venues in the country, and I did 65 of those. Um, and that was a show called The Blonde, The Brunette and The Ventral Redhead. And it was just Jackie by herself. She played eight parts and did all the changes on stage. It originated at Griffin, didn't it? It was a Griffin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Griffin show first. So then that when uh, some different uh, regional touring bodies picked that up and off we went. We did the Tiny Town Tour, uh, which bases out of Albury um, from Hot House. And so that was literally playing uh, t- country halls. Dude, that's, it's such a different experience again, isn't it? And it, well, it's basically but you and, and Jackie. Jackie and I, that was, there was a... Uh, and, and the whole company. <laughs> ja- a, a, a guy called Jared and um, another Jackie, I think her name was, who would drive the truck and drive the set. And I was in the Toyota Camry station wagon, I think it was, with Jackie. Um, and we would, there would be, there's a place called Savanac was the first place we... We performed, and there's a church, the town hall, and maybe three or four houses, and we got 250 people. Wow. And there were drop dunnies at the back. Wow. Um, so Jackie would come off stage, had, had to come off stage at the end of Act One, run out the back, 
to the drop dunny, use the toilet, and then she would come out of the toilet and all the patrons would be there going, oh, I thought you were wonderful, so I'd have to go and rescue her and get her back. Well, I guess with the country tour like that, you know, you've got such an appreciative audience that the show doesn't just finish at the end of the show. No. There's all Ooh, that meet and greet and hello Lovely suppers, and, yeah. my gosh. Um, <laughs> that was a bit dangerous as well. Jackie and I used to have little... We'd, she'd do a few little ear, um, tugging of the ears if she needed to be rescued, but I'd always... I'd pack up the wigs and pack up the props and we'd go, come on, we're going now. And off we'd go and go to the go to the uh, motor inn, it usually was, or we'd drive back to Albury and stay there and then, then off we'd go again. We'd, so that was 22 venues in a month. And so then we've done sort of some of the little little ones there. So those little shows, I think that's where you learn. That's where you learn a lot. You learn how to how to problem solve, and you learn how to deal with difficult situations. What's and the What's the toughest thing about running a show? I think it's dealing with uh, personalities. I think that's okay. I think it's the hardest thing, um, and I think that's what you, makes a stage manager good at their job is to, to re, sort of read read a room and read different personalities and be able to, I mean, ultimately get what you want out of these people. Um, and, then, and we're talking about not just performers, but also performers backstage, backstage crew. So it's, yeah. it's a whole sort of whole network of people. It's a, it's a little family. It's a little little colony of people. Um, so like a teacher, you've got to be a, a policeman, a psychologist, uh, a mother. Oh, yeah, all yeah. of that. <laughs> and I sort of, you asked before if I was bossy, and I don't, I don't like to be bossy, and I don't like to raise my raise my voice or anything like that because I feel like that doesn't achieve it's anything. There are, yeah, yeah. there are people who do like to sort of run that kind of show. I have high expectations of people and I I try and sort of conduct myself with, with in a sort of manner that is people sort of look up to and think, okay, this is what, this is how it needs to run. I, I want people to not want to disappoint me, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So that's how I kind of... That's how and I that's like a great to, way to get my, people to work for you too. Yeah, that's how I, you, yeah. that's my management style. But I wouldn't. It's not. It's sort of a very sort of subtle management style. And also ultimately, I want people to be able to come to work and have have a good time. I yeah. mean, it's a very it's a very rare <laughs> workplace where it is always the same, but there's always something different going on backstage. And it is, I think, in these times more than any, it should you know, theatre is very important. And but having that sort of positive workplace. Backstage is also very important because then that's going to go across the footlights and that's going to, you know, if everyone's enjoying themselves. And I've had some exper- uh, some experiences which I've just been miserable on, which, so, you know, there's, there's both. And I, I would always prefer to be in the happy, positive camp. Absolutely. The well, miserable camp. Work better. Um, a mobile phone still a problem in the theatre? Uh... I think some sound departments say that they are. Uh, again, I think. I think as long be. as it's on airplane mode and if it's right. on Wi-Fi, it's kind of okay. I mean, because mo- you're saying it, it, rather than disrupt performance, but that also can interfere with the. Well, it, 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 there was a time I think when it used to be able to, used to interfere with microphones. You get right. that sort of that sort of terrible sound. Hopefully, it's not on this equipment. We've, uh, on the show I'm working on now, we have phones backstage. People are so connected these days. Ultimately, it keeps them happy and it keeps them quiet. So I'm, I'm not I'm not against it. But other shows I've done, uh, well, I've tried to have a no phones policy backstage and you'd, it's impossible to yeah, police because yeah. just, it's tucked away. And then, 
you have to be like, please put your phone away and it's just I mean it's dull for me and it's dull for everybody you know it's dull for everybody uh, in the in the audience yes still a problem still do the we've got a, a recorded mobile phone announcement um, it still happens I don't understand it it's like surely the theatre is, is an escape surely you want to switch off I always turn my phone on onto aeroplane mode on silent and switch it off when you're an audience, when I'm member. An audience member just so there's no chance but I still get worried that Somehow it's going to turn itself on and ring, or music. And I think that would playing. be the greatest humiliation, oh, you know, in an audience, <laughs> especially during a quiet moment. Um, tell me, what is a show report, and what goes into it? So a show report is uh, a report of what what happens in that show. It also has, uh, it obviously, has the performance number, the date, the venue, uh, who was observing. So if any of the residents resident creative team were observing or any of the producing team or original creative team uh, uh, we have who's running who's mixing the sound who's calling the show who's running so a list of the crewing basically of any one show uh, then we have a little breakdown of uh, the performance notes so that is often prosaic and I always like to keep it positive um, if the audience are absolutely dull and asleep then they're quiet and attentive um that array between the lines and then we've got uh, i've got a list of um i think it, it's called personally positive adjectives on the wall so we sort of select some of those uh to put in there so uh, at this performance the audience the company arrived in this kind of mood that was an upbeat mood backstage you always want to to keep it up and positive and then we have a list of each department and anything that has happened like any lights that have we've lost, any technical equipment that's failed, or um, anyone who's missed their cue, or what we dub into the white room where they, everyone just loses what they're going to say, and that's happened happens with more frequency than you would think. Well, I suppose with, with repetition, also, you know, the, the body can switch into automatic pilot, and yeah. sometimes you can't find the words you should be saying. Yeah, yeah and that that report then goes to to all of the original creatives and to the world. So I think currently my show reports go to about 75 people all around the world. So uh, you you need to be somewhat careful about what you put in there. You don't, if there's something that you can deal with or sort of uh, handle in-house and not re report in a way that's not going to blow up, what you don't want is any original creatives to be thinking what the hell's what, ha what yeah. the hell's happening over there? Yeah, but it should also be a, a you know it's a work of it should be truthful as well. And it, but it definitely shouldn't be a dob sheet. I think there was a, a time where it used to be uh, a dob sheet about this person did this and this person did that and they're ruining our lives and all that sort of thing. Well, now with these commercial shows, which are such huge juggernauts, and there are people all around the world yeah. that uh, have invested into it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a much more... Uh, and people are protective of the product, you know. People yeah. are very protective of their show, and I think that's why shows... I think that is a, a way why some shows are more successful than others, I think, if the original creative teams are very disconnected, which with time, I think, they obviously become more disconnected, you know. I don't think of the creative team of those original big cam actors may not even still be alive. Some of them are, of course. But but now I think it, there's so much at stake in commercial theatre these days. Mm. So that's why I think people are so protective and so involved. Can you explain to me the difference between a director, a resident director and an associate director? 
Yes. So the resident, the director is the first person who directs the show. Creates the creates the original yeah. show. Um, they will have. So that is through, I mean, a workshop in, on Broadway. They'll probably do one, two, or multiple workshops. Um, they will then do maybe an out of town tryout. So in Chicago or in Washington or many different places they can happen, um, and then it will come to Broadway, and that would be the same director all the time so Hamilton for example that was downtown first at the public and that director was then directed on Broadway and so that person then has a stake in the show they will in that process have an associate or a number of associates um, they will then once the show becomes a commercial product and goes to other other places West End or come to Australia or wherever that they will send the associate so the director will often go on to another show um, and then they will send the associate out to do to remount the show I guess here so you usually get an associate who will be there from the first day of rehearsals through until opening night and an entire associate team so you'll have an associate lighting designer an associate sound designer everybody would you uh, all departments would have somebody they and all those people come out and put the show in create the show in the new location and then they all leave after opening night that's the dream that's the ideal gig because you get to do oh it's like have do sort of the best time and then be like bye good luck with it everyone have a great time um and then the resident team uh, are involved so the the residents are kind of to the associate what the associate was to the original director so the, the residents are the people who are local and they are with just this production and then after opening night they stay with the production and maintain it throughout the the season great they are involved the residents are involved in cover rehearsals cast changes so every day along with the show report we do we produce a cast change document which is usually a single page document which goes for every show has its own cast change document which has who's on who's off if anyone's sick injured whatever and who's covering them uh and then that goes to throughout the building throughout the theater on any one show so it goes to wardrobe wigs sound everywhere so just uh, and that's one of the jobs of the stage manager is to communicate so to everybody what's happening yeah exactly. Yes. Yeah. because on a long-running show you'll probably have the full company which is what we term the opening night company or the full company you'll probably have that a handful of times in the season on a big show so once you get that many people in in, in one place it's sort of is there much illness or absence on stage or and off stage in a big, uh, big commercial show I think like that? less so off stage, but it does happen with some frequency on stage. I mean, just because a musical theatre performer needs to be a racehorse, I, th I think, um, and they and, and people don't often make good life choices and treat themselves like a racehorse. So again, there's a lot of sometimes there's a lot of drinking after the show, or you know, so you've. There is a lot of illness, but also that many people in a very enclosed space, and sometimes you throw kids into the mix, so it's just a <laughs> breeding ground of yes. bacteria. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we do have a fair amount of illness, and again, also uh, injury happens. Uh, some shows more than others. Obviously, West Side Story, which I've not done, but that's going to have more injuries than what. Because the big dance show. Big dance show. So yeah. big dance show will have more, but increasingly now there's physios, physiotherapists employed by the show who are on in-house which is a great thing that producers are doing because it, it hopefully minimizes and gets people back on as quickly as possible what's the most um 
hair-raising moment you've had or that you've had to deal with and, and think on the spot and how am I going to solve this and will I be able to solve this and Ooh. that you can talk about I can talk about <laughs> um, things uh, automation going wrong is is always always something uh, oh it's like that opening moment of the Olympic Games with uh, Kathy Freeman remember and yes the, and the, and the um, order that was the water kept moment. falling down yeah but it got so there. things like that it got there just in the end bit of a wobble um Always things like, so things like that. We're, I've been in situations where the automation console is not working. So then you need to think, okay, we don't want to cancel the show, but what show can we can we give the audience? But it's depending on the show moving forward, isn't it? If it's stopped, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it depends. And it depends, like, I think all of these things, you can have contingencies and pieces of paper and plans till you're blue in the face, but it's about every scenario is always going to be different. So it's about what you do in a certain scenario. So if a set piece... Uh, stops and is on stage and can't get off stage it's that's the thing you need to ask you need to find out from your head mechanist and your automation operator right can it come off how do we get it off or if it doesn't even go on can we cut it and can we still move forward so those are sorts of hair raising things um we've had uh brownouts which is the sort of partial blackout before uh we've had total i've had total blackouts where you've just got nothing and so you don't have you can't you get you grind very quickly to, to a massive halt um and that's that involves uh sort of acoustic speeches to the house by me or whoever it may be ladies and gentlemen thank you very much um i think the biggest thing in those scenarios is not being scared to stop i think obviously you always want the show to continue but i think but mistakes happen but mistakes happen and technical glitches I mean, it's always that it's that you get a horrible feeling that your sort of stomach just drops when those sorts of things happen. But always stop, sort it out, step back to where you can, and carry on. That's sort of things. So I've been in some scenarios where I've, I've, I have been well, due to inexperience. I was scared to stop, and it just sort of you just can unravel into even more dangerous territory. Less so. I mean, less so now than what it was sort of ten, fifteen years ago. But the scenery is generally much more simple now whereas in the sort of big heyday of of those big mega musicals like the original miss saigon and and bill elliott the first time when it first happened there were big holes in the stage so you have to be really careful it's the sort of 10 meter drops yeah when the traps are open and so, we've all heard of those accidents and there happens. are yeah, yeah, definitely yeah, those accidents yeah. and and you know theaters are can be potentially very, very dangerous very dangerous places but I mean less so now there's sort of less, less. now you see a lot of theatre as an audience member are you able to watch and just invest in the storytelling of, of that show or are you constantly thinking about what's going right and what's going wrong and, and can you identify when, when something's not going well in another show I think if it's if it's good storytelling and good theatre I completely lose myself in it I think the last time that happened for me was uh, Secret River at the STC. STC, yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, I was just amazed by that. I had, I had a wonderful time. Um, and things that I obviously, when I go, go over to New York and have sort of uh, a show queen moment, uh, Dear Evan Hansen was similar. I saw that re recently with the original cast and I was just blown away by that. Um, but as soon as things start to slightly go wrong, then I do get pulled a little bit out of it. Um, I do try and see a lot of things. I th I'm getting a little, a little bit old and a little bit cynical. Um, so at the moment, I, I sort of 
try and... Well, when you see a lot, you can have that. You do tend to have a bit of a jaundiced eye sometimes. I do. You know what you like and you've seen lots of things that have worked magnificently and then, you know... Yeah. I, think, I, I don't think it's wrong to have high expectations, you know, when you're, you're forking out the money that we do for live performance. Absolutely. Um, and have I, as, I, as I have always said, life's too short for bad theatre. Absolutely. And I have been known to, to walk out and... Um, Is that uh, difficult to do? No, I feel like because a lot of people tell me, a lot of my friends say, "Oh, I could never do that. I could never do that." No, it's, but I'm quite happy to do it's that. It's my God-given right. I've, yeah. If I bought the ticket, yeah. I mean, I think if you're on a free ticket, that's if someone gives you a comp and all and if you've got mates in the show, you course. know, you're there to support them and yes. all that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, one thing I will always, always try and do if I do have mates in the show and I do go is I don't rip into it in front of them, and I hope. I mean, it doesn't always happen, but I hope they give me that same courtesy because if you're in a dud and you know, I mean, everyone knows you're in a dad. So you, the last you thing was like, you was like, that was terrible. Yeah. Um, everyone knows. So, but yes, no, I will work out. I, 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 I don't see as many things as I used to. I think somewhat, <laughs> sounds so bitter, um, somewhat the, the gleam has, has worn off. And I think... Do you, need to, do you think that sometimes we need to reset? And, you know, I've sometimes thought of it, right, I'm going to have a year where I don't go and see anything. Yes, a friend of mine has a, a, a what he calls the theatre voucher system. And he runs out of theatre vouchers. You only have so many for the year. And once you're out of vouchers, I mean, you may, he may only give himself one a year. Um, and maybe it's more of a gag. But I, th- I think, yes, yeah, definitely a reset. I also think in this country, not to rubbish, we, we often get, we're often victim to things being lost in translation and I think that in terms of intention and uh, performance I think that happens a lot and I've seen it happen a lot where I've seen shows somewhere and then I've and I've been absolutely amazed by them and then I've worked on them in this country and I've been slightly disappointed with with the the replication of things and I often think in musical theatre there's this need to to push and perform, and uh, that's very against, which is maybe why I should go into directing. That's very against my instinct. I think you know, less is more. You don't need to, you don't need to do anything. You just, if a show is good enough, you you should just be able to trust get the text, up the, the material, trust it, just tell the story. That's all you need to do. But I think, and I don't necessarily think that's being taught in in our institutions. I think there is this. Sort of, I mean, you get that Broadway. Performance, whereas everything I've seen on Broadway is so underplayed and so spare, and the perfor- in the performance, I, like, it's terrific. Well, it's an American art form, isn't it? And, well, I mean, it is, yeah, a music- yeah. and, and I think that's another thing that's sort of a little bit missing in the, this country is the the history of musical theatre and and understanding understanding the language and, and it the is investment the in the writers and the creators Absolutely. here also. Yeah, I mean, you look at the the, the, the multitude of schools in America. Um, and the, the number of rewrites and drafts and workshops that, that musicals go through before yeah. they even hit the stage. And and here we sometimes think that it's quite easy to sit down and write a musical in a week and put it on. And it's so... It, and you see those shows and all those workshops and it's it's not. And it's... And I don't think people... I mean, again, I don't think people uh, necessarily know what they're doing. I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think the, it's a hard the passion's thing. there. Yeah, I think that it's um, very well intentioned. And sometimes maybe it's a blind ignorance or something. Um, can you have a blind ignorance? No. <laughs> but sometimes um, I think the passion's there and they want to do right. But but yes, there's that lack of understanding of the amount of time which is required to invest in a, in a project. And especially if you're in a small space, which increasingly 
uh, in Sydney particularly, you are doing a musical in a very small space, but you st- and still they're sort of so overdone, both in performance and design. It's just sort of like, mm, no, less, come on. But it, that seems to be so far from from the sort of instinct. It seems like the instinct is to go to go big or go home, and it's just that's why I sort of don't go and see too much anymore. <laughs> you're looking after yourself. Um, okay, yeah, protecting myself. All right, so you're a director. Director now, now. obviously. Um, yeah. what, what, um, what's a show that you really would like to uh, sink your teeth into? Oh, let me think. I was talking to a, f- a friend this morning. I, th- I, I think Secret Garden is a great show, and it's a show that's not been done here for a little while. Um, and I think it's a complete sort of work of um, drama and escapism. And did you see it last time? No, I no, didn't see it last time. I am too young. I am just Marina Pryor, Philip Quast, I mean, Anthony Waller. I mean, it was extraordinary. Yeah. Um, they so I did a production of it in in Hobart. They it was after that it was done here originally, and it was at the Theatre Royal, and uh, they bought the set or borrowed, I don't know if they bought it, or just rented the set of Frosty, because uh, John Frost was the last producer, um, and it came down in shipping containers, so it looked... Well, it's beautiful, yeah. Beautiful. It's like the design is... that what is it, Heidi Landsman? Yeah. Heidi Landsman design. Yeah. And it was a touring version. It, we even we got two sort of versions in the container. We had the big sort of state theatre... Sorry, not the state theatre. We had the state theatre version, which was much more condensed, because Sydney State Theatre is a, a triangle, which is, I think, where it went back to. And then yes. we had the, in inverted commas, state theatre, like the big version, which would go into the capital or now the lyric or, or wherever. Um, so I have done a, done a production of that, but I was, uh, I think I did props way back then. You weren't Dickens. I wasn't, no, I wasn't no. Dickens. No. Okay. Someone else was Dickens. So I think that, I mean, I think that I'd love to do that. I'd love to do, I was listening to some, um, some Into the Woods. I mean, I know that people call it Into the Red because you can't, <laughs> you, took, you often don't make money on Sunday. <laughs> But it's a um, beautiful show. Beautiful show, yeah. and some like I. Part of me thinks I would like to, to have a go, but I also think that direction requires training, um, and so I wouldn't. I don't think I'd want to. I think I wouldn't want to jump into directing without maybe doing some form of. Yes, I have a, fr- of a friend who is insistent that directors need to be trained. Yes, and I look no no shade, but I think. Everyone's a director these days, um, and but with some great success. Don't get me wrong. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I'd, I mean, but I think maybe stage out of everybody, maybe a stage manager is slightly a better place to step to step into directing than perhaps you know. or into health. Uh, into health potentially. Back to the books. 